What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We made this. Hello, everyone. This is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you just listened to, or maybe you're just about to listen to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash we made this and get the ball rolling. Now, back to your scheduled programming. Welcome to the X-Cast. The truth is in here. My name is Kurt North and welcome along to our continuing coverage of season six of The X-Files. And as always, we have a guest with us and I won't um, waste any more time because we do have to do some five questions of X. So I'd like to introduce uh, Luke Quinch, who is the co-host of Make It So with myself, the Star Trek Picard podcast and showrunner of Observing the Pattern, a fringe podcast. So, uh, you know, well known to the, we made this podcast network, well known to myself. Luke, how are you doing, mate? Hello, Kurt. I'm, I'm really well, actually. It, it's really good to be on the show because I've been orbiting the X-Cast and we made this for a couple of years now, I think. Yeah. So, and I've done some roundtables. So it's, it's, nice to, uh, it's nice to be on an, an episode show. It's kind of full circle, really, because my first ever roundtable, you were the host. So, oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So, you know, so being here today with you is a, is a nice, uh, not a nice circle closed. As I say, we've got to do the five questions. So um, bearing in mind that I had pretty much the last time I hosted, I think I had five questions to do with uh, both Marlene and Katie Doe. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a long episode. And uh, so I don't want to like sort of waste too much time. So let's dive straight into your X-Files fandom then. Um, when, we'll start with the first question. When did you first discover the X-Files? 19th of September, 1994, BBC Two at 8 p.m. It was it was the 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 actual broadcast of the pilot uh, on the BBC. And I was 16 years old, and I'd said to my mum, "Can can you not watch Morse tonight? And can we watch this new show called The X Files? I think you might like it." And she did, which was great. But more importantly, I did. And yeah, I mean that was that's uh, that that was the first time I watched it, and. 
I was, I was quite an impressionable teenager, really, and I, I'd already kind of got into um, UFO conspiracies and stuff like that. And, and once once the X-Files was up and running, you know, I, I'd, I'd use that, you know, that continuous form paper with the, with the holes on the side. I'd, like, print out, like, unclassified documents that, that the US government, and it was all blacked out and stuff like that. So right. I was a proper, proper geek in my, in, in my teens. So, yeah, but I was, I was hooked, hooked and obsessed from that point onwards, really. Oh, well, because I kind of did it the other way around. I caught the X-Files and then started to do that. So, um, so yeah, so, that's, so it's interesting how, you, how you've done it from, from that way around. And to see the pilot on BBC as well is, 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 is yeah. a great one because, um, as I say, I've, I've mentioned in the past that I caught them later on and out of order and all kinds because of the whole BBC Skies thing. So mm. what about your favourite episode then? What would you class as your favourite episode of the, uh, of the show in, show's entire run? Oh dear! Wait, I mean to be honest, I mean doesn't have to. I think be many guests. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of guests have said that it, it, their favorite episode changes with with their mood, or it changes month by month, or changes year by year. I mean, I could I could say Ice, which is one of the one of the best episodes of season one. I could say Anasazi, which I think kicked off the mythology to the degree it it, it got to. There's Pusher, there's Jose Young from Outer Space. But I, I think I'm going to go, because we're doing season six, I think I'm going to go with Monday. Right, um, okay. Monday is one of my all-time favourite X-Files episodes. I think it's just exquisitely shot by Kim Manners. Um, it deals with all the themes that kind of hit right in my ballpark, of, you know, time loops, the science of time and self-determinism and, and all that stuff. It's the kind of stuff that, that Fringe deals with a lot. So it, 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 it fits into my ballpark really well. Um, and I think the humour hits the mark every time in that episode. You know, there are some X-Files episodes where it doesn't, the, the balance isn't quite right mm. on serious episodes that have humour, but I think this one absolutely hits the mark. And, you know, the whole Mulder's bed is leaking gag was, was, was uh, really good. And, uh, but also the pathos and tragedy of the, of the character of, of Pam, um, played by the incredible... Carrie Hamilton is just is, is just fantastic. So yeah, I think I think that's probably one of the best episodes of season six for me, and, and also the X Files as a whole. Right. Okay. So if 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 um, just on a, on a side note to that, then because um, I think I know I'm aware of like season six isn't one of your favourite seasons, and that, the next next um, question is you know what's your favourite season? But before we get into that, is the uh, it, things like Monday being that concept, uh, you know, the scientific thing, is that what really drew drew you to it and if you had to choose between mythology and monster of the week, would would you kind of go for the the more of the uh, the the, the sciencey type ones, like maybe the time time loop ones, or the or even the time traveling ones? Would you go for more of the sci fi elements, or how how would you view that? I get it. It depends on the season because I, th- I think in season six, I much prefer the monster of the week episodes to the mythology episodes in this particular season because I don't think the mythology episodes are particularly strong in this season apart from Biogenesis, which is one of my favourite mythology trilogies. But, I mean, yeah, it, it depends on the season. If, if, you, if you were to ask me that about season three, I would outright say the mythology episodes. Mm. Um, but I love stuff like um, Monday, and I love Synchrony, which, which, which deals with time travel and all that kind of science concept and thing. Um, yeah, so it depends on the season, and I kind of swap between months of the week being my favourite or mythology being my favourite. Okay, then. So what is your favourite season? What would you class as your favourite season? Uh, I think I'd go with season three because I think it's it's one of the most 
well balanced of 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 the seasons in, in tone and theme. Um, I think the mythology episodes at this point are some of the uh, are are the strongest in season three, um, and they you know they carry through very very uh, the same kind of themes of World War Two and and in, in, integrating all that actual history into this um, made up history as it were with this, which I really like. Um, and I also think that season three has some of the best quality comedy episodes as well. You've got Jose Shung's uh, from Out of Space and stuff like that. Um, but I would give an honorary shout out to season eight, which is actually my second favorite season. I, I think season eight is a is a fantastic return to form for the X-Files after six and seven. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really, really looking forward to season eight. You know, it's a, yeah, a bit definitely. off yet, but it's um, it's one of my favorite seasons as well, which is great. Uh, what about character then? Doesn't have to be Malden and Scully. Could be Pam. Could be anyone. It could be Cigarette Smoking Man. It could be Dave Grohl. It could be absolutely anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm mauled over this for blooming ages this morning. Um, again, it's it's like it's like episodes and seasons. It changes over time. I, I could go for the easy answer, which would be Mulder. I think season six Mulder is is is, is really good. I think his comic timing is it's fantastic. David Duchovny really shows off his comic mm. talent in in this season. But I'm going to go with Crycheck. Because and the reason I've gone with Krychek is that I like the way he's not he's not bound by any kind of um, coherent cause or held by any agenda. Really, he 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 has his he goes his own way. He plots his own path, and he doesn't really have an allegiance, even though he kind of swaps around. But he's a free agent. He's his own man. He's this little chaotic thing that kind of threads through the story every now and then. I I really like that. I, I like the fact that he is he is his own man, and he's not used by anyone well i mean he is but he he always gets his his, his revenge or or has his turn in and turning the table so mm-hmm. yeah cry check I, I he's a great enigmatic character excellent great choice great choice um what about your favorite moment from the series then again it's one of those ones that's really difficult i suppose that you've probably dwelled over this for some time yeah lots of files lots and lots of files <laughs> Is that that scene where they find the mountain vault? I think for me is my favourite moment because of the impact that that has on the mythology for the rest of the season. Yeah, it expanded it to a, a huge, a huge web and fabric of of conspiracy, and I, I love the I love the impact it has, and it kind of ties in Scully's abduction and Mulder's sister, and all these little kind of disparate storylines are all packed into this mountain vault, and I love the symbolism of that. Uh, and how it just opens up storylines and and uh, kind of brings it to its conclusion in season six, really, that particular, you know, those, those particular plot threads. And, of course, not long after Lots of Files, you get the uh, the miraculous escape through a back door, which I yeah. find amazing. You know, the fact that, yeah. you know, have all this security <laughs> and then all you need to do is go out the back door via a pretty wooden door as well, which is which is great. So, yes, that inducts you into, probably into the X-Cast. You know, you are now uh, a a guest on the on the main show, which is which is always fantastic Woo-hoo. to, to in, induct people onto that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's talk about the, the episode that we're going to uh, look at today, which is episode... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trevor, episode 17 of season 6. It aired on the 11th of April, 1999. So it was directed by Rob Bowman, written by Jim Gutteridge and Ken Hawley. So what's... um, what do you think to season six, just before we get into the episode um, itself? I kind of alluded to it earlier in the, in, in the Five Questions of X, but it's, it's a mixed bag for me. Um, I know it's a lot of people's favourite, and a lot of people think it's the most, most re- rewatchable of the seasons. And watching it over the, this past week, I've actually realised that I think I watched this one the least. Um, and, I'm, and there are some re- reasons that, I've, that I know why I don't rewatch it a lot, but, there, but there, there's also some surprises where I think, well, why don't I watch this season more than I do but I'm a big pre pre fight the future man I, I mean seasons one to five in Vancouver for me is is the essence of X-Files um I love the gloomy atmosphere quality that Vancouver brings um I know they kind of fabricate that quite well in LA but it's just the overall especially outside locations I think mm-hmm. I, I, I miss that there are exceptions though I think Drive Triangle and Monday are three of the three of my favourite and three of the best, I think, episodes of X-Files overall. So, but there are then episodes like Terms of Endearment and Alpha, which I think miss the mark completely. I'm not fans of those episodes at all. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm also not a fan of the the kind of first stretch before uh, Two Fathers, One Son. I think I think having that long stretch of, of light episodes is a bit too much for me. I would have liked that spaced out and and interweaved with some more darker episodes. Um, but that's just placement. I don't think that's any that's anything to do with the actual episodes themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, mixed bag overall. Yeah, well, I kind of allude season six to almost like an album. You know, like the the first part of the album is like all the singles. And that's what it, mm, yeah, that's what it yeah, feels like yeah. to me. It feels like it's like you know the first five or six. Uh, like oh, that's going to be number one. You know, by the time yeah. it's at episode six, it's kind of like oh, it'll be in the top ten. Um, so it's it, so it is interesting how it's like kind of it's. They're, they're trying to work the way around that. Mm. But what about Trevor then? So um, what would you rate out of 10 uh, for, for you? And what would you make to this uh, this episode? Well, I think um, when you asked me um, to come on this episode, I was like, Trevor, really? <laughs> um, but, but I think, like, you know, when you have a memory of something and your memory of that actual event, it might be a bit more better than actually what happened. Well, this is a reverse. My memory of Trevor, because I hadn't seen it in a while, was like, oh, this is a bit of a episode, but you know what? I was pleasantly surprised. I actually enjoyed this. I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching this episode. I think it's a, for the most part, solid monster of the week story. The fact that Guttridge and and Horilai, Horilai, Horilai. I've got it as Horilai, Horilai. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're first time writers, and this, I think this is their only script on the show. Um, I think they showed they knew. They knew how the X-Files works. They, they know the character of Mulder and Scully. I think there's some really good banter between them, especially at the beginning. There's, there's a few inconsistencies in characterization regarding uh, Pinker towards the end, but we'll get to that. But um, overall, I think it's a solid episode. And I think Bowman really shows his craftsmanship here because I know that season six was plagued with, with some 
kind of budgetary restraints. So I, I think Bowman uses a lot of clever camera techniques to, to get around that. So I think I, I rate that quite well. So I, I think I'd give this a 6.57 out of 10, I think. Yeah, I was, I was going to go for the same, actually, 6.5. Um, I th- you're right with the budget constraints because I think it mentioned at some point that during the some of, one of the scenes in, in the hotel when Jackie's been taken away, I think it was Jackie or June, whichever way around it was, um, there's a scene where Pinker comes in through the roof and there was mm, going, there's going yeah. to be more of a, you know, you see him come through the wall, but they just I didn't have the budget, budgetary constraints. I agree with you with Trevor, actually. I think I'm going to find this with, with Summer Season 7 for me, that um, I never necessarily give bad um, credits to anything, really, apart from, as you may well know, over on the Millennium podcast where I gave one an episode a two out of ten, which I'll be, I think I'll be infamous for. Um, but I, I generally skew it the same as what IMDb does. I, I, I would never give anything, or be very, very rare, that I would give anything below a six, um, and it'd be a six till six till nine point seven five as such, you know, because I would never rate anything a ten. Um, but again, watching this is an episode that I've kind of watched and forgotten about, like a bit like you. It's just like, oh well, it's all right. Enjoy it. It's not. It's not exactly memorable. I remember. I do remember it. I do remember like the premise, and I do remember certain scenes. But um, it's not one that I've ever revisited too much, or you know, even even if I did a rewatch, I'm not even sure that I would would I necessarily skip it potentially. So um, so yeah, so it is interesting. But then watching it. Um, over the last couple of days has been really interesting because it's um, it has it has some interesting moments. I mean, you mentioned like the the two writers is the first time that they've written anything. They actually met each other over in Millennium. You know, they they actually um, so that's how they came across each other. In, in I think it was the prop store, um, and it was through like kind of the companionship. They said you need to give that story to it to, to the XRC so they can get it to, to come up and stuff uh, to make it work and things. So, so it's interesting from that point of view, because what I find really fascinating with this episode is that it could be an episode without any, um, you know, X file or even like an, a level of evil in it. It could quite easily just be a drama. I was, I was, when I watched it, Particularly when the revelation of the of, of the child uh, comes through, it reminded me a bit of the Millennium episode, "The Wild and the Innocent." Right. Uh, in 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 terms of this, these two people um, basically searching for this child, um, the motivations are clearly different to, to you know to that Millennium episode. But it, it reminded me of that a lot. And I think yeah, I think you're right. I think if you take Mulder and Scully out of the equation, it wouldn't have affected. Pinker's and uh, June's story that much. I don't think they would have impacted it a, a huge amount. Um, and I know that that can sometimes be a criticism because I think there were some criticisms that this episode was very Mulder and Scully light. When you get actors like John Dell and Catherine Dent, who are very, very good actors, th- and you have lots of scenes without Mulder and Scully, if you've got these two strong actors, they can carry the episode. And I, and I think they do in this in this case. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even necessarily alluding to that, really. I mean, yes, there, there is, there, they're actually involved in the plot in some ways because you get the, the scene where, you know, they're in, they're in the house that Pinker's got the intelligence to actually use the, the boot of the car to actually get the travel to find out where, where June is. But um, the, the actual story of, like, he escapes from prison, you could have him, he escapes from prison, and he goes on this journey without needing to have any 
you know, paranormal things happening. Mm. It's because it just feels like it's a, it's a, it's a family drama. It's a family dark, you know, and Wild and Innocent's a good show actually, because I'd never thought of that really. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, just a dark drama about this guy who's, who, who wants to find his kid. And it's, it's really interesting from there. Um, IMDB scores it 7.4 out of 10. Uh, so that's not, not too bad to be fair. Um, and that's from 2,339 votes. Um, as you say, Rob Bowman directs it and does a really good job. I think he, he does a fantastic job in the way that he uses the, the dark, some of the darkness um, elements. And to give, just before we delve into it, into, into the deepness of the episode, some of the, um, you know, the body work is, and some of the actual um, practical effects of work really well in this episode as well. Yeah, definitely. The, the kind of, um, uh, the effect of the burn and the severance, uh, particularly the poor guy, Bo, who gets his, gets his face removed um yeah that's quite that's quite good practical effects really um yeah and Bowman uses a lot of low angles like looking upwards and a lot of dutch angles as well uh and first person perspective and i think i just think it works overall to really rank up the tension in the episode i love a dutch angle uh, <laughs> you know, yeah oh yeah i get a chance to mention it you know start when star trek um when star trek picard did it in episode six or whatever it was seven maybe yeah i was like it's all for that give me give me more dutch angles um, right, okay, let's have, let's have a look into the episode in more depth then. So we shall go and do that now. Okay, so we start in Jasper County in Mississippi. Uh, it was going to be, I think, in Oklahoma, in uh, an actual prison itself, but the um, for various different concerns i think it's been mentioned in previous episodes that now that you're in la you, you know it's it's like um being in a, a big city center isn't it you know you, you can it takes you three hours to get out of the out of the thing um whereas if you live where i live you know you can drive 20 minutes and be 30 miles away so so, uh, so it makes a big difference you know the, the fact of where you were in vancouver compared to you know the the la landscape so they went with this prison farm which in itself was interesting. I did a little search on on prison farms because I was like, I've got a fair idea of what they are. Um, I managed to find a TV little documentary on on the uh, on the prisoners who were uh, asked to uh, go and work on farms and how they can get back to agriculture when they leave. And you know, it's not necessarily something they're forced to do, but it's more like you know they they are asked if you want to be part of this program, then you can go and, and work on farms and stuff. So I thought that was that was quite interesting, just as a side note, really. But um, the the opener does really give us an idea of who we're dealing with in in pinker roles. Uh, the the scene itself it's quite long. I'm, I was quite surprised actually because going back to remembering what this episode was about, uh, you know, there was various elements. I was like, mm, okay, all right. So we've got this tornado. You know, that, that's fine. You know, we've got this uh, this thing happening, and uh, you know, the fact that Rawls has to deal with the. Um, you know, the sheer panic and fear that he gets after what he does. But the scene before that, the, the, where he's talking, where they're boarding up the the, um, the farm and, uh, you know, getting... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To the point with the nail in the back of the um, hand, just to show you how you know visceral this guy can be. It took it took its while. It took its time. It was really kind of like deliberately left. Um, and I don't know if that's like for filler or was it more for effect that you're just getting an idea of who this man is? Because as I say, the, the nail through the hand was pretty effective. Yeah, I I definitely think you need that opener, particularly with, with, with a guy kind of taunting him. You you need to get uh, a kind of idea, idea that this guy uh, holds a lot in. He's, he's very cool. He's not calculated, but he's very cool and silent in his anger. Um, so this guy is just taunting him, taunting him, taunting him, and then he's just like, with the, with the thing. But I think that the... the, the what this opener does is establishes the character of Pinkner. I mean, we, you know, we find out later on that he drove 62 miles just to wrap a picket around someone's head because they'd cut him off. So it's it's this this kind of uh, persistence and motivation for him to basically exact his own justice on people who piss him yeah. off, which is exactly what this guy does. And uh, yeah, even though it is quite long, I think it's it's there to establish that point of his character, uh, which which kind of um, comes up later on in various in various scenes. I've just thought of something completely random, by the way. <laughs> um, so this is in 1999, right? Okay, so this predates what I'm going to say. That uh, you know, this that the whole episode was watched by somebody in a, a particular computer game, and then co- na- named their character Trevor in what would be called Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> okay, that's uh Cause that's, the that's sort of a thing tangent. Trevor would do in Grand Theft Auto yeah. Five. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tangent. It is a tangent. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. It just I just came to me. And you're talking about him obviously going to 62 miles to go wherever he was. That's exactly what Trevor would do. And then obviously the losing well, man. This episode's called Trevor. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was a bit of a bit of a tangent. I apologize, <laughs> but. um you get a lot as well. You get the thing with the guard. Now, this is something that we're going to c- touch upon in the in the um, in the mailbag later on because there is as- aspects to this episode which people have talked about. And we say that this for me, and I think we can maybe talk about it in a bit more detail later on. But we've got the kind of the uh, the guards and the the prison um, guard. It's very kind of like you know the, 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 I can't remember what you would call him. Um, you know, Wally. Basically, and uh, you find out that you know he's saying box him, you know, just uh, no, no, no reason for it. Just kind of well, there's a reason for it, but the fact he's put him in that danger, and it alludes to stuff like that that's happened in maybe like the list and uh, you know episodes in season three, and uh, you know we'll talk about that in a bit more detail when we when we get to the mailbag about where this should fit or where the and anagrams are, but things like uh, things like. Uh, the list is, is is where I would equate this episode. It kind of fits in that mold. It fits in that kind of realm of the all right episodes that do really well and what they do, but they're kind of forgettable or you can get them mixed up or you can scratch your head and go, what happened in that one again? 
And that's what it feels like to me. And, and the, having the prison guards in that in that mode kind of refresh my mind on that. Like the list, for example, you know, when go, he's going after the people he avenges. So I thought that that's really interesting that, that you know, it's, it is alluding back to an earlier time of the X-Files. Yeah, I think another uh, allusion back to previous X-Files is this, is this whole act of God and, and bringing God into this because um, cause Pinker later mentions that, you know, that, that, that God fixed him so he could, he could get out of prison and fixed his passage. And I think there's, there's a lot of previous X-Files episodes where, where religion is, is, uh, is quite a, a central point to the character's motivations. So I think that this whole act of God that Warden Fellows calls the tornadoes that are approaching the, the, the prison is, is, is a nice callback to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, obviously, at the end of the teaser, we find out that, you know, he's gone, presumed dead. And uh, you know, and there's, there's various, and the guard is is goes into the uh, into the room, and we see quite a significant um, body in two halves, which was a nice way to to end the opening scene on, really, wasn't it? So, what I also find really interesting as well is something that came up of late is that we we you get tend to get a lot of the um, you know the memes or the gif files that we get on Twitter and the like. And they always seem to be off random episodes. And, and this one mm-hmm. is another case in point that, you know, they're not particularly the best episodes that you're ever going to get, but they've got memorable lines in them. Yeah. And uh, this one's got a couple of, like, <laughs> Scully saying, shut up. And Mulder, you know, saying, my heart, dear diary, my heart leapt when Scully <laughs> suggested spontaneous yeah. human combustion. And Should uh, we arrest David Copperfield? Yes, but not for this. <laughs> which is one of my favourites. Yeah, and the fact about David Copperfield as well is I, I like that they're, in both cases of like, you know, he can walk through walls and he can, you know, he, he's, he, he was such a, if you think back to that time, maybe, maybe slightly earlier than this, when, you know, he would go to the Bermuda Triangle and uh, he'd make the Statue of Liberty disappear and all kinds. But, um, you know, there's aspects of this episode, which links in with that as well, which they don't know yet. Yeah. So I like thematically it works quite well. Um, but yeah, the, there is a, obviously it's, 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 it's a, it's a typical, again, you know, autopsy scene, but with the the Mulder and Scully kind of dynamic, I think actually works quite well in the, in this case. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's also a, a you know those kind of banter and that kind of uh, the kind of quotes that we were just saying is 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 a real testament to the these two writers. They know the characters of Mulder and Scully, yeah. um, and and they know them well because it shows in the writing of their of of these two characters. So um, this kind of opening scene autopsy throwing theories around of, of you know their first theories of, of, of what it could be really feels like classic x-files and uh I, I think it works really well in this scene yeah yeah it doesn't as i say the funny exchanges that we've got and uh you know mm. it, it just it's it's it feels like home and, and it, which is great you yeah know, it feels like not the episode but it just feels like home um when we do get to the prison guard though he starts to have his own theories about it being a ghost and it had pinker rolls all over it and it's nice that you've got someone who just so overtly, you know, thinks something's not wrong. Someone's really wrong here because you don't often get that in the show. I don't feel that you get that in the show where someone overtly just goes, "Well, it's going." I think it's a ghost kind of thing. It's that that mm. was nice and refreshing as well. Yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> when the guy was talking, all I could think was uh, 
and I apologise for my accent here, uh, American friends. Why'd you put the Barney back in the box? Yes, I it's all that I could too. think about. Yeah. All I could think about when he was talking. But it is it is nice to have this character kind of throw this out there. It's like, well, you know, no man killed killed the warden because there was no way into the room. Yeah. So yeah, it, it 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 was nice that a character is that kind of open in his thinking. What do you think to the the leaps then? Because season six has a. Uh, kind of a criticism put on it that you've got um, you've got these things that happen which are very Twilight Zone-esque, very Outer Limits-esque. You know, they're not really explained or there's no, like, scientific thing to catch on to with, uh, with stuff. Now, this one has a slight improvement in that because Scully's got the, you know, the electromagnetism. Can you, you can, I mean, I know you're into your science, but I'm probably bastardizing it to be absolutely honest with you but um you know the fact that you've got various different things that they can electrons that bind things together that that could have broken down by some way in the tornadoes so there is science in this one this feels a little bit more of that ilk rather than just having you know the the story itself but Mulder's leaps get there really quickly which i, I feel he gets there really quickly yeah it does i mean their first kind of uh, plays with you know spontaneous human combustion, and they talk about the climactic to, uh, conditions and the lightning generating high potential of electricity that that could that could have caused the um, spontaneous human combustion, and then this whole leap that he has of of changing the composition of a material as he passes through is is very it's a very huge leap, and without without actually further evidence i mean what does he have he, ha- he has a crumbling wall and, and he has the handcuffs that that kind of break up in his in his hand but the the leap that he has from that is a little bit of a stretch for me yeah um and i think it is something that plagues season six quite a lot are, are these huge leaps of logic and i think x-files works best when i mean yeah it is a fantastical show with some weird paranormal stuff but an episode works well when Mulder can can leap to to certain conclusions Within the within a certain grounded frame, really. Yeah. Um, and in this, it's a, it's a it's a little bit too much. Um, but I do like it later on when they start talking about the electron repulsion of electrons that basically prevent us from falling through a chair when we go and sit down, for instance. Yeah. That there's this kind of this kind of area of of magnetic repulsion that um, that prevents solid objects from going through other solid objects. So they do, it's a very bastardised version of science, but they do yeah. kind of touch upon it. But that's, but that's way after he's, he's been already leaping to these um, conclusions. So yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit too, too vague and a bit too stretched, I think for me. Yeah. And, there's, and don't get me wrong. I am not, I'm, I know fringe obviously has more of an indication, you know, the fact that you're on a fringe podcast and, you know, I've been lucky, lucky enough to be on a couple of episodes, but the um, fringe is more in the realm of being able to explain that, and they would probably go more overt with, like, you know, using Walter for example to explain. Well, this is what we did in tests where we put people through a wall and whatever. But um, you know, X Files isn't designed like that, so I, th- no. I think it has to have leaps in some ways. But to have, as you say, to go through that wall and to then, you know, the glass is kind of like, you know, a good visual representation of what that what's happening and that's really important moving forward to the end of the episode but there is this kind of like sort of logic which is which modern scurry are already chasing and following and behind the curve anyway but to get them there it doesn't feel right there's no, never, there's no mention of any 
previous X-Files, and there's no mention of anything where Mulder can recall where, I recall something like this happened in such and such, or, you know what I mean? There's not really that um, that aspect. And we know things can change people. We know that, you know, like, um, you know, if you think of DPO, for example, you know, the light, he, he became lightning. So mm. so there, there is, there is um, things for that. And some of the science can be a bit wobbly, I think, because of the the rubber bullets and the the pan. So I'm, you yeah. know, it's, it's like I'm not quite sure how that falls in. But I do like the fact they use rubber bullets just to give Mora a shotgun. I do like that aspect. Yeah, I do. But then the, the whole rubber bullet thing becomes completely redundant because it does nothing whatsoever. No. Um, and even in the scene later on, where where naked rawls is is chasing scully there's no sign of any wounds or anything on his chest um and they build up that as well they go you know i need some special uh some special sanctioned equipment and it's like oh what's he getting what's he getting it's a rubber bullet that does sweet fa <laughs> so it, it just it's just it's a little bit of a redundant moment and it, it kind of yeah, yeah i was a bit up i was sli- slightly disappointed in that one yeah not nice idea but doesn't really pay off and um yeah you know it had obviously kind of Reminded me of something like, say, Terminator, for example. You've got that fear <laughs> yeah. of like he's just invincible. You can't, you can't get him. Um, you know, and and then you've got the things that go actually do go through him. Obviously, break down because the cohesion is not there. I like that aspect. I like things like the bullets going through against the wall, and when Mulder yeah. pulls up, it looks like they're just like little chocolate bars that just break away. Um, I do like the that aspect. But going back to the beginning of what I was saying there, that. The fact that it comes to that solution really quickly is is a bit mm. a bit of a stretch, and I, I think that's why the um, the story itself is more prevalent than the actual X file. It's more about yeah, and that's something we can maybe talk about now. It, um, well, in a second, it's more about the the family dynamic and and what's happened with the, with those three or four people that that we are following this week. Um, but just before we do that, uh, apparently that when um, Mulder pushed the wall. Originally, it came up with a little square box, and uh, I think it was maybe Rob Bowman that said that he felt that um, you know just waiting for Bugs Bunny or something like that just to pop the head in. <laughs> so, uh, so, so it was uh, just like brilliant. So luckily, in one in one take, or they were expecting it to. I think it said they might have been expecting it to, but it came through, and their one take actually worked worked quite well. When we when we kind of have, as I say, the the, the family dynamic of the, of this, because we'll we can talk about that now. It's like so. Bowman has said this is uh, something else has touched upon in the in the mailbag, but we'll we'll, t- we'll touch upon it now. Bowman has said that he sees that that um, June is the is the real villain of the piece, but as a as a dynamic of of the episode, which I think works really well, is the fact that you know you mentioned about going sixty two miles to 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 do what what. Um, Pinker wanted to do. You've got June fearing for her life, um, you know, and and going on the run, effectively trying to hide away from her past and move on with her life. Um, and then you've also got June giving the child away. You know, we've got all kind of mannerisms that could have been at play there on reasons why she wanted to do that, um, including fear of what he may become. You know, it could have gone down that route. Um, but the this this aspect of like you know the 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 real mundanity of it, the fact that Pinker, you know, he wasn't someone, he was a normal person who has something happened to him. And as you say, the belief, the belief that that was done to him for a particular reason. And he goes on this mission makes him such a, 
it's it's quite a. I know that a couple of people are like terrifying or scary person because he's he's someone who's got a like got a purpose in life. He's going to do everything he can to get the very thing he wants. You know, and with his past history, we know what he's got, what he's capable of. Um, but it is interesting that there's there's this um, little discussion about about that family unit um, in total, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, and, and I, I I kind of agree with with, with Bowman's um, point of view that June June is the villain because I think you can actually you can look at June's point of view and Roll's point of view and kind of almost sympathise with both of them. Um, you know, Roll's has discovered that he's got a child that, that has been hidden from him and he hasn't been told about it. And he's, he's, he's heard, as he says, from a guy who works in the field, from a guy, from a guy, from a guy, which is what makes it makes, brings him to believe that this is, this is, uh, God speaking to him and telling him that he's got this child. I kind of wish they'd expanded a little bit on the whole God theme and the whole religion theme. Cause I think that's, it's a strong motivator for rules for, yeah. you know, from the very beginning. And I think if they'd just maybe spent, uh, a scene or two or, or, or part of a scene just kind of expanding on that i think i think we could have really appreciated Rawls's motivations just in a wider context of things he is this very unpredictable scary man you know he 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 barges into uh judith jackie in, into her house uh, and 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 terrifies her but when you discover that that he's looking for his son you know give me what i want and for a while you think it's June and then you think it's money and then, you, then, you know, the, 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 then we find out it's, it's his child. Um, in that scene where he sees his son, there is a complete change in his behaviour uh, and, and in the way he talks to, to, to Jackie as well. Taking June out of the equation for a minute, because as soon as she speaks up, he switches back to, to his, his, his uh, psycho self, as it, as it were. But he's, he's, he's quite sympathetic in that he has, has this child that he has never seen. And has been keeping from him, um, so I, I like that aspect of it. I like the fact that that the writers are trying to get us to look at it from his perspective, as well as uh, as well as June, who who has who has in her eyes protected her son. Um, the fact that she used all the money is 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 a, is a debatable point as well, because you know it, it, was she right to do that and knowing that he could get out of prison and knowing the repercussions of it, it, was it the right thing for her to do? That's an interesting question as well. Yeah, well, I was going to bring that up, actually, because there's three there's three elements, isn't there? There's like, you know, he goes to the, the old boyfriend's house and you think, oh, he's coming for June, I want what I want. You know, it's like, uh, you know, what, and it's, it's June that he wants. Uh, then you've got the, as you say, the, the 90,000 90, from, the, from the robbery. Um, you know, which obviously alludes to the fact of his criminal background as well, that we get that history of, of him. And then we find out it is actually Trevor, who's the, obviously the title of the episode. Um, but it's cause it's like, so it's, you're right to, 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 to bring that up. Cause it's, I, I personally, for me, I don't see it being like, uh, as clean cut as that's the villain of the episode. I don't, I don't think it's written like that. I think it's written more like a melodrama that's, you know, Everyone has everyone has the faults. Everyone has their 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 areas, and it's almost like um, you know by the very basis of where they've grew up from, or the history that they've had, uh, and the the paths that they've led. You know, and the fact that their paths have departed because he's gone into jail and gone into prison. And what she's done is trying to forget that and move on with her life. Um, you know, with. You know, money that she she wouldn't have necessarily had ever, and you know, it's a lot of money. 
and to be able to like so then progress that on uh, and then move that on. Yes, is is it is it a um, should she have just said I found the money here? Here you go, hand it back. Then mm. yeah, yeah. But it's it, for me, it's an interesting thing of like what is what would their backstory have been? What how how have they been together when they were when they were young? How have they got together? How what what made him do that? What made him become the 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 um, the, the prisoner that he is today? What made her? Make that decision. What kind of destituteness was she in in that household with Bo? So it's it's there's, there's questions that need to be asked, and I quite like the idea that we we don't get those answers. Um, but it is interesting that you know no one is holier than thou, and and I actually like it for that reason. Um, it, it's it's dark, you know. It's, it's not just a case of like you know you the way that June is portrayed at the beginning is very much like she's moved on with her life. She's made herself up. She's you know living the uh, suburban lifestyle, which which is just a f- facade, really. It is, and, and that kind of links in with Arcadia a little bit because we see her in this idyllic house. You know, she's 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 got this new partner, Robert, who seems to be a very good man, a very honest man. Um, and she, she's lied to him. She, she's basically kept these dark secrets from him. And that scene's really interesting when, when Mulder and Scully are talking to her and he's stood in the doorway and he's listening to all these revelations about where the money's come from and... and and she was with this convict who's now escaped from prison, this, this dangerous man. Uh, and you really feel for him at that point. You really feel for Robert. And, and even w- w- when they're coming out and uh, Mulder and Scully are taking uh, June in, into protective custody and he's like, no, you know, this has nothing to do with me. He's not after me. Um, and even when, when he has his excuse me moment, which is slightly mansplaining in, in a way, it's, you know, but, but I understand his anger and I understand his frustration because he's been lied to by this woman he's known for quite some time. So the, the, the writers have really done well in, in allowing the audience to sympathise and understand all these different people's point of views and not just, as you said, the clear-cut hero and villain of the piece. Yeah, and and he, he was literally on the verge of, like, asking her to marry him. Yeah. You know, so the fact that, you know, it's gone from one swing to, to something so bad. I mean, to actually buy the PC as well. I mean, that would... That, oh, that would, yeah. Proceeds of crime. That PC would have been taken away. See, I think his 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 frown borrowed even more at the, at the mention of the PC. He didn't mind the house, but the PC, <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah, I don't know what, it, what it's like in the United States, but the proceeds of crime here, that would have gone. That would have been taken away. Oh, yeah. That's it, you know. That's, yeah. uh, Who that's cares about the house? I'm out of here. PC, <laughs> bought it with that money, I'm out. Yeah. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll move on with my life and buy myself a, buy myself a cheap <laughs> one. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so that, that, was, that was good. Um, 
one of the one of the the little, the little things that we get. We obviously have a an issue with his clothing because he keeps going through walls and he keeps losing his clothing. Uh, and the scene in the in the shop with the security guard, which I, I actually really enjoyed. That I love the fact that he is so like you know he's been down this road before. He's just like yeah, I'm getting some clothes. Oh, nothing like a good pair of socks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, just the that very conversation, and, and obviously when Mulder and Scully come in afterwards, I thought that that was a really nice little takeaway moment that you feel that the, the story's moving on a bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think John Dell plays play, plays this really well in this scene. Um, and also, he's, I mean, he's obviously quite a, a, a confident man anyway, but I think this newfound ability that he has gives him this arrogance and this super confidence against this guard. Uh, which is why it's so cool just, you know, putting these socks on and go, oh, you know, these are me, right? These these shoes fit, right? So he's got this kind of cool arrogance and confidence because he knows his ability will prevent him from being shot and he'll be able to get out of there. So I like that how that's established in that scene. Um, and, yeah, and uh, I, I like the way that... Obviously, this this ability has changed the way he can he can interact with, with law enforcement and other people and, and gives him this... Uh, this kind of invincibility almost yeah and then moving on from that because during this during the episode it's it's quite interesting that we move from like place to place to place by literally following him because he, he takes the the car we find the car later then the other elements happen and they find the car and then you know we find out oh hang on he's, he's in the he's in the boot of the car um so I think they use that really well to to tell to showcase what his next steps are. Yeah, I mean, I think Bowman and the writers have, have really given us quite a propulsive story, and it's almost like a a chase story. But instead of um, having a, having a protagonist chasing him, we, the audience, are the protagonist. We're following and chasing uh, Rawls as he goes around these different places. And yeah, and I I really like that, and I like the propulsion and, and pacing. I think the pacing's brilliant in this episode. I really do. Um, again, I, I can't give enough credit to Bowman in this episode. He, he's one of X Files's prominent directors, and I, I think he he deals with a lot of those budget constraints and and, and locality problems, um, and just shoots everything so well. And it has this lovely rhythm to it. The whole episode, the whole chase. Yeah, it does. And um, just the as I say, the, the just little things like. They, they they know about the breaking in the wall. They know that this that that can happen. That when they get to that boot and they see it, they see it looking looking at it, and Maud realizes this, and then runs into that into that house that we were just talking mm. about. Uh, and then you get the "I want what's mine" thing, and the the actual mirror as well, which, as I say, gives us our kryptonite, doesn't it? It gives us our weakness. The the one yes. thing that we can that we can um, we can really hold on to that that will be the the main crux of how how we get out of this. Um, but it is interesting how they, they've done that. They've put like a, you know, almost like a superhero slant on it, that there's, mm. there's going to be, there's going to be like this person who seems to be invincible. He's not, he, he can both try shooting him, you know, and it bounces just off and the rubber bullets don't seem to do any work. You know, there's, um, you know, even, even when he's come up with, um, you know, the phone booth at the end, that's only a matter of time before he can break through that. That only weakens him. You know, until yeah. the point of actually the actual end result being June. Uh, so this kind of thing that they're starting to lean towards more of this science and this 
superhero element as we get more and more into the seasons is uh, is an interesting case in point, especially being obviously the LA years and uh, and you know there's been five years worth of storytelling, so they are leaning towards more of that. Yeah, and Super Soldiers being a case in point. I mean, from season eight onwards, they are the, the they are the big bads for those two last seasons, and I, I know that a lot of people have a problem with with this whole superhero super soldier type element that they introduce into x-files um i i I myself i I don't have a problem with it and i i quite like that element that they bring into it um and this i mean you could almost say that this this is a little bit of a a a genesis of that and bringing that theme into into the x-files um whether or not it's on purpose is is another debate Mm. but but i like the fact that they they have brought those elements into this and um yeah, and kind of bringing bringing a, a albeit slightly bastardized version of science, and and bringing that element into into this episode, I think is it, it just you know the show's evolving and it's changing. And season six, I think, is a statement of change because they've changed localities. The 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 type and style of episodes have very much changed from your standard months of the week. So this this kind of experimentation goes on through season six, and and I think this episode mixes that classic months of the week with a bit of the experimentalism that, that season six is doing right towards the back end really because we've we've already we already met jackie and then you know we things start to develop there at the house we see that there's the medical kind of information that we find out oh they've, they've had they've had the kids and there's moments in the in this episode which is which is something i, I don't think i've seen too much of where you've got Mulder and Scully on two separate phone calls talking about the same sort of thing, but with mm. different elements, doing the investigation work of trying to find out what exactly this is. Uh, and then we find out the pregnancy. Now, did you, it, it, it's quite, obviously, as you say, it's quite a forgettable episode. Generally, it's not, it's something you'd be able to maybe recall, but did you like the aspect of this breaking down of, uh, it could be the money, it could be the girlfriend, it could be, or oh, now, or oh, it's the child. Did you like that? I do. I think it's a really good process of storytelling, and it, it's you know these these they don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, so they're kind of they're using the evidence that they have at that time to to uh, chase the kind of um, chase the story and find and find rules. So at the beginning, they just have the photograph um, of of Juno Rawls, so they immediately think that he's looking for 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 June. Then they find out that there was money involved in a robbery, so they immediately think that that's then the the reason so then it, it's it's quite a logical step i think to then and i do like the way they both come to the conclusion that that the child is actually with jackie um i think that is actually one of the most logical uh yeah. kind of conclusions that they have in the whole episode i think it's a really good one that is so it makes sense from from Mulder and scully's point of view and from a logical point of view why these these different uh theories of what his motivations are i really like it i think it's a great it makes a lot of sense and I think the one of my favourite moments of the episode actually is is when we get Rawls in the car with June. The fact yes. that you know when he when when he realise when he's talking to her and he's not referring to Trevor just yet. I mean, it's a very kind of like X Files thing to do. Mulder does it all the time. He talks to Scully forever without actually telling him telling him <laughs> what, what it is, and yeah. Scully's going to draw it out of him. But um, this this whole element of like you don't even know what, you, what I'm talking about. Kind of yeah. thing. I know, I know what's happened. Um, I, I thought that the the the, the acting of of, of the, the the actress who plays June was really good from from the moment where she dropped the cup of tea at the yeah. um, you know in in the original story when the news broke. 
uh, up until this point where she's, she's literally in the car stuck with him and has suddenly realized the real reason why he's pursued her. Uh, and I thought it was a really, really good scene that. Yeah, it's a really strong scene. And those two actors um, are both in a TV show called The The, the Shield, which is a, a critically acclaimed police drama. And it's it's in one of my top five uh, TV series of all time. It's absolutely phenomenal piece of television. Uh, and those two have quite prominent roles in it. And, you know, they, they are established actors. Um, and I think it's the, the move to LA has allowed them to to kind of delve into the LA gene pool of, of actors. And I, I know a lot of people um, were upset because the, the gene pool of Vancouver actors is superb. There's so many brilliant character actors and not all the LA actors that, that they, that they get in from this bottom is are brilliant. Uh, but I think they really, they really caught two great ones for this. And those two make that scene in the car. And I love, I love Rawls just sat there in, in silent anger with the music playing and, and she's terrified and, and trying to understand what he wants. It's just a, it's a really tense scene. And, and because, and, and that opening, you know, that cold open scene where, where he's been taunted and he nails the guy's hand, that is all there to basically bring us, bring you to this scene because he's so unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do when he's sat yeah. in that car. Well, it's also allusions to God as well, isn't it? You know, the fact that yes. you know, you've got the crucifixion kind of the, the thematic of, you know, and this, this comes to a head here with the, conversation about god that you know that and there's those little little subconscious things that just put it into your mind to think about you know how um how rawls is seeing this you know and you can you could you could at a push say you know the fact that he did literally crucify somebody before it happened and and this is yeah. almost like a rebirth you know which is which is why i yeah, which is why I would have loved just a few little moments of scenes just expanding upon the the this theme of 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 sacrifice and 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 being given an ability to give him the the you know as as he says uh, um he fixed me you know he gave me the fix to escape and he gave me the fix uh, a, a passage to fix things so I, I just wish that we'd had a little few more because I think that that through line of of th- that religious theme is really strong in this episode and it's it's it it it's basically what his motivation is he's God has told him he has a child and he needs to find that child yeah. um, even though even though he might be seen as a villain at, at that point. It's a, it's a really interesting dichotomy there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. The more you know, as as the host of the main host of the Time is Now a Millennium podcast, I really need to try and distance myself from it. But <laughs> the fact that those two have worked on Millennium, that you mentioned, you know, the 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 world and the innocent, that you could quite easily re- retool this for a, a, a season one or season three of Millennium. And bear in mind, season three of Millennium's airing at the same time as this as well. Yeah, in my notes, I have this could have been a Millennium episode. Yeah, like the the, the whole story with the family could have been a, a you know easily been a Millennium episode. What do you think to um, the see this 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 is the awkward the, the awkward moment and I think believable that, that uh, the the meeting of Trevor and Pinker. How how do you think that that went? And and what I will say about it is that one of the lines that made me howl with laughter is like you could have saved me a trip. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that is good. I, I, that is yeah, funny. I just thought it was a great line. I, I just, <laughs> it was just so funny. It could have saved me a trip. <laughs> it was just brilliant. Um, but yeah, the, 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 this this meeting of of Trevor and uh, and Pinker was was an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier. His John Dell's performance here is great, and how he switches from 
from uh, what we've seen of, of of Pinker to this. He, I mean, his face just changes, and he and he looks at this boy almost in curiosity and wonder. Um, I, I don't think it's love because he doesn't know the boy. So, I, I, and and I think that's that's a problem that he has when he's trying to communicate with 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 Trevor. He doesn't know what to say. And he's stuck for words, and he can't even say, "I'm your father." He goes, "You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Pinky, but you can call me Pinky." Mm. So he's, he's he's trying to kind of interact with a child in what he thinks a, a child would kind of interact with, you know, with a nickname. But he can't bring himself to say, "I'm, I'm your dad, I'm your father," which which I think is is a kind of mixes with with his with the flaws of his character that we've seen already, and his his kind of anger and rage that he's got uh, about this child being hidden from him. Yeah, but I also think as well, it's like, it, how how would he react? You know, the the fact that he's still, he's trying to pass this information himself, that, you know, how how is he going to approach this? This is like, you know, he needs to make a, a, a good first impression. He doesn't do a very good job of it, to be fair. No, he doesn't. But but um, but it's, it's, it's through his mind, it's his, it's his first, like, ever thing of this. This is the first time this has ever, ever gone, he's, he's meeting his child kind of thing. And the the very nature of, of him is like, how am I going to work this? How's this all going to work in my head as well? And I think the empathy in yeah. there for, for Pinker at that moment is, is quite good because as, as I say, it's not, he's not just a, a, a one dimensional character. He's actually a really well drawn out characters. Same as June, same as Jackie. They all, I mean, June, I still have a bit of like question mark over the, the June and Jackie situation. I'm not quite sure how that all came about and what is in going through June's mind. And I'd like to have seen a bit more of why, why she thought that and how, how that came to be. Um, you know, the fact, the fact that you know, even Trevor believes that Jackie is the mother, you know, for example. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Sorry to interject. It, it, it seems, it's really, I think it's interesting that the first time that Rawls breaks into uh, Jackie's house, he keeps her alive. He doesn't kill her. Yeah. And, and that has massive consequences to later on when he comes back, for Trevor, so it's interesting to think what would happen if he had if he had taken a face out or something. It, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, it, it would have been a very different ending to the story. Yeah. So I, that was that was interesting. Well, I suppose he's in in his in his mind, he'd be thinking that she is family. So, yeah, you know, because I mean? if you if you, if it, if the whole episode is revolved around Trevor, who he doesn't hasn't yet met at that point, that you know that he's looking for his child. That that's the that's the ante of. Well, what, well, Trevor believes it's his mother, but he's the aunt, she's the auntie. That you know, there will be an element of like that's Trevor's family. You don't you know? Let's not do anything to them. I just want to know myself where where they are. Um, and as I said, they alluded to she's already seen what what she's cap what he's capable of doing, and then she's thinking, let's throw a hot boiling liquid through him. Um, which you know, I, I suppose you, you know. You, you are fearful. You don't know what you're going to do, but there is an element of like, you know, well, that was never going to really work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and also I think, I think up to the point where June goes, um, it's okay, baby to Trevor. He's in this moment with, with his son and he's interacting with him and he's softly spoken and his behavior is very gentle. The second he hears June speaking, it just triggers him. He, in his mind, he's trying to, He's trying to interact with Trevor the best way he can um, and be gentle with him. But yet his, his rage and anger with June cannot, cannot be contained. It cannot be controlled. Um, and, and I think that, that 
points to his behavior when he's smashing in the uh, the phone box towards the end and why he stops when he sees Trevor's reaction to his rage and it yeah. stops him from from doing anything further. Yeah, I mean, we can move to that because Scully does that. Uh, well, Jill Anson does a great um, drop your keys moment. Yeah. Uh, which is always great. You know, she's obviously a bit scared, drops the keys. Um, and really good for Scully. You know, the fact that she recognises that the phone box is, uh, is a good place to go. No mm-hmm. allusions to Superman at all or Kryptonite. Nope. Not that I'm trying to link that at all, but no allusions to that at all. Um, and the, you know, it only holds them back for so long. And as you say, the when he starts to like break it down because he's it's his own desire that's all he's thinking about he's not being objective at all he's being very subjective you know he's just in the moment he wants to get to his child and as you say the moment suddenly dawns and when he actually catches you know eye locks with with trevor that, that he's actually doing damage to him uh, and he realizes has empathy and realizes that what is he doing you know he's he's taking this too far uh, and then he starts to step back. And uh, what do you make to the, before we, we get to the June collision, um, what do you make to his reaction at that point and kind of his, you know, his kind of, he, he not gives up, but he kind of just like accepts that his fate at that point. To, to be honest, I'm in two minds about it because it, it makes sense that, that Rawls stops attacking because he's he's seen his son's reaction. Uh, he's seen that this boy is absolutely terrified of him, which is not the reaction that this father wants from, from his his boy. Um, and as you said, he's he's all of a sudden taken an, an, an objective view of this. Um, he's, he's seen through red. He's seen through the rage uh, and, and seen what he's doing. But on the flip side, the episode has built up this, the fact that that Pinkner is so dedicated to to well not, that's the wrong word he's, he's so consumed by his rage that he'll drive sixty two miles to wrap a, a picket around a guy's face. Yeah. So I'm I'm conflicted about when he stops. Is that consistent with with Rawls's character or, or or not? I mean, would would he carry on regardless of this boy's reaction to him because he's so consumed with wanting to take this boy away from 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 june um it, yeah but the more i think about it the more i think the him stopping does make sense because because i think he, even just talking through it with you i've i've i sympathize with him more than i did maybe with with the watch but at the time i was in two minds about the, the consistency of his character and whether or not he would stop or not yeah yeah and the, the problem as i say with with june is that she she knows she knows that he has the ability to just flick flip a switch and you know he'll be off. Mm. So it's a, you know it's a harrowing discussion to have about do you tell him? Do you not tell him? Do you just like is he's going to be in prison for the next thirty years or whatever it was that he's going to be? So does he really need to know that? Um, many people will be shouting at the podcast saying, "Of course it does." They need to know, you know, um, which I get. I get. I get that question. Yeah, and but it's, absolutely, it's, it's asking the question that's, that that this is asking itself. It's saying, oh, "What circumstances can you can you get beyond that?" Or is it what is the truth? What how much of the truth do you need to let pe- people know? It's the fact that you know, was it a kindness for him not to know because otherwise he'd be thinking mm. about that in prison. Um, how did he find out? You know, and then obviously this sends him on his on his uh, on his mission as such. Um, and then we get the the kind of the Twilight Zone ending with Mulder saying maybe he just wanted a second chance, at which X Files have started to do that. 
And this is where yep. I think some of the allusions to, to this has been that Mulder seems to have these com- these little quips at the end of episodes now, where it's like the thought of the week, you know. And and don't get me wrong, they, they've always had them. Glenn Morgan did a James Wong. Glenn Morgan did a fantastic one in the end of the Vlets, for example. You yeah, know, nice meeting you and stuff like that. Uh, and they've always ended with like open endedness, but this this season seems to be the one where they seem to do more of the, you know, thinking back what is the meaning of this episode. You know, Mordus here is doing exactly the same, saying maybe he just wanted a second chance. Uh, mm. And June, as I say, is the one that that actually um, does the deed. And uh, and then this is the, and this is that closure for June? Is that closure for Trevor? Is that closure for Pinker? None of them get a resolution that's that's needed for any of them. No, I mean, I, I suppose June June has has protected her boy from what she conceives as a as a threat. Um, so she's she's got rid of him and you know one of the questions behind behind these motivations is how far do you go to protect your child mm. um even even though she's not abandoned him that's the wrong word but but she gave him to jackie for, for safekeeping so then you you know then you ask the question well does she have the right as a mother because she hasn't raised the child jackie has yeah so there's there's lots of questions going on in 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 really good questions going on in in this last in this last part of the part of the show so has June done the right thing by killing Trevor, protecting this child, or does that make her a murderer? Does that make her a bad person? So you know, even though it's closed off with with Mulder's little quip, there are lots of open ended questions uh, asked. Yeah, and it, it, it's a deeper episode than you know I would probably give it credit for before mm. rewatching it recently. Um, so that pretty much, unless there's anything else that you want to bring up before we go into the mailbag, that pretty much brings the episode to to an end. The, the only other note I had was just uh, it was a note on Mark Snow's score in this episode, which I really liked, particularly when they break into the room with Jackie sat on the bed after after Pete has gone. There's a lovely little piano melody that they do, which which I, th- I think was really effective to that scene. So, yeah, Mark Snow doing his thing really well again. Yeah, Mark Snow, incredible musician. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's dive into the mailbag. Cool. Right, so we've got Carl Sweeney up, and he says, uh, rewatched this last night for the first time in a while. Um, to echo some of the others, I think this is a good episode, albeit not one that's ever going to trouble my list of favourites. It's well made, Mulder and Scully work the case nicely together, and Pinker is scary in a believable way. June has good reasons to be afraid of him, so really, I don't really see her as the villain, but she's clearly flawed, which makes... Uh, her a somewhat interesting character, although she's not as rounded as I'd like would have liked. A solid seven out of ten. Tony has been on as well. He says uh, Trevor is an average episode of the X Files, as you could possibly find. In my eyes, it's not as irritatingly bland as Alpha, given it's a bit more pulpy in approach. But Pinker is a dull version of the kind of men who becomes literal monsters trope. Early in seasons, did much better. It's all just a bit boring and empty, especially sitting with the brightness and boldness of season six fun and games. One I would skip on casual rewatch, which is something I've mentioned as well. Um, yeah. um, we'll come back to, to that comment because these next couple deal with some of this aspect as well. So okay. I'll just bring it all <clears throat> into one. So Chandru says, um, Chandru Ravindran, one of the most underrated episodes in the show's run. I was shocked when doing a season six pause, how low Trevor came in. 
It's probably my sixth favourite of the season, with Drive, Triangle, Monday, Malagro and Field Trip being the only episodes I think are definitely better. It's got all the markings, um, all the making, sorry, of the great monster of the week. I don't think Pinker is super memorable, but he's a chilling one-off antagonist with a compelling paranormal ability. Along with Pinker, I think Trevor does a good job of developing an interesting cast of side characters. They may not be super likable, but I find them able to relate to them in some way, from June's yearning for a new start to Jackie's fierce protectiveness of Trevor. Even June's fiancé's inability to forgive feels relatable, if a bit unrealistic at how quickly he's willing to write the love of his life off. We've mentioned the PC. We don't need to mention that again. Yeah, that's it now. Yeah. Morden and Scully are in great form as well as the Dear Diary moment is up there with the, in the Pathian of unheralded um, Morden and Scully interactions. And I find their give and take throughout the, throughout the episode to be refreshing late in a season that relied too heavily on being them cute with each other. And another season six flaw that Trevor shrugs right off is the atmosphere. Absolutely amazing. The score, the direction and the general ambience, all top notch. It feels like a classic season two to four X-Files. Great episode. So yeah, so there's quite a few bits to unpack there, some of which we've already discussed. But I think the this idea that Trevor feels like a bit of a, a throwback to, I could put this in around the list, for example, or mm-hmm. the walk. I, I, it feels like that kind of kind of mail to me. Now, I always have, have a bit of a, a thing about putting doing that because you know the aesthetic slightly different. You know, it's a different storytelling track. Modern Scully are in a different you know place in their careers and their lives together. But um, as a general story, it does feel like it it could fit in a, a kind of a season three mode for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if if you gave me this episode and I had no uh, I had no idea what season this came from, and you said right, if you want to put this in a season, I would I would definitely put it in a in a pre pre season six um, season. So three, four, five. It it mm. it, it is a throwback. Uh, I agree, but you know, as I said earlier on, I think there is some of season six experimentation in here as well, and I think there's some of the light-hearted banter of Morden Scully that 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 kind of threads through season six quite prominently. So, um, yeah, it is a throwback, but I do think there is there is enough here to kind of fit it in season six quite nicely. And I like the fact that it's a throwback, and I like the fact that we've got a Monster of the Week in a very Monster of the Week-liked season. So it's it's I think it's quite nice to have this in here. I know people will think it's it's a bit redundant and looking back, but but I like it. I like it situated where it is. Yeah, seventeenth episode of the season. Things are already starting to mm. change anyway. You know, likes of Tithonus, for example. And there's, there's, uh, Carl said that towards the back end of the episode, a season he actually likes more than the the front half, even though you do have episodes which aren't as strong as others. But it's, mm. it has some of the. It feels like season. I think we mentioned this at the top of the hour that season six, the beginning, feels like the singles. You know, this feels like you know the them playing around with their new toys as such. Mm-hmm. And then you get to like the back end. It's like, well, we've run out a bit of money because we've been on a, we've been on a massive cruise ship. You know, we've, uh, we've traveled the deserts, you know, we've done this and we've done that. And, uh, you know, and we've, we've only really had one episode, which was like in a, in a haunted house. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of money being spent. So we have to cut it back somehow. And I think that season six might falter a little bit towards the back end because of that. But at the same time, it feels like they've finished playing with the toys now and they've gone back to the old little 
toy that they had, you know, last year. You know, it feels a little, a little bit like that. So yeah, you you, you can kind of see all the producers and budget people uh, post one son looking at the the, the things going. <clears throat> okay, we've run out of money, so uh, let's 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 change the storyline. You know. The, the storytelling. Let's let's kind of do some throwbacks to classic X Files because that might not require as much budget as, yeah. as you said, going on a cruise ship or having a, this big sprawling story of two thousand and one Sun. Yeah. So, but even in, even in two thousand one Sun, they decided to stay, stage it all in a hangar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do think the back end suffers from budgetary concerns, but I think it also it it corners the writers that the fact that they have to produce these stories that are quite contained and and maybe aren't as hugely special effects laden and yeah. and stuff like that so yeah okay so sarah ford uh, just another thing before actually before we go back in there that we didn't really touch upon jackie's fierce protectiveness of trevor because that's something that again mm. picks up you know there's a there's, there's little bits of jackie's character which is uh, alluded to as well which helps the story yeah um, Sarah Ford, in my opinion, Trevor is fine. It's a workaday X-File episode that seems to fit in better in an earlier season, like we said. Uh, it doesn't seem to fit the overall vibe of the season that it's in, though, which is one of the full of quirky experiments. It is kind of the back-to-basics episode. That being said, the code open is very memorable. Can't put me in the box, boss. Storm's coming. It's something I remember for years. Uh, though for a long time I didn't remember which episode it was from mistakenly thought it might be from one of the season 3 prison episodes like the list strange enough mm-hmm. uh, I think the horror uh, of the cold open reminds me of earlier seasons the rest of the episode I remember as being kind of eh I kind of like the theme of accountability but in uh, retrospect was it kind of hard on Pinker's ex I can't recall the details but didn't she understand that he was violent and run away with his stolen money and start a life for herself. I don't really blame her for that uh, much for that, but uh, there's a detail. Is there? Is there a detail I'm forgetting? Not really. Uh, no. no, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I don't think we touched. I mean, we talked about um, June quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, her. We kind of touched upon it, didn't we? When when, when we talked about you know the the writers do look at everyone's point of view. So I think we can, you know, she's not cut and dry the villain of the piece because, as you said, everyone's got flaws. And I, and I think that's, that's where the episode uh, wins, in my opinion, because I think it's a very well-written episode that allows you to step into different people's shoes uh, and look at it from their perspective. Yeah, and then we talk about the villainy, actually. Now, this is, the, this is where it comes up. So Michael Little says, Bowman um, said June was the real villain in this one. And he says, um, no. Andrew Levitt comes back and said, uh, says, didn't June trick uh, Pinker into getting caught and then she hid the knowledge of Trevor from him and hid him away? Definitely villain material to me. That's what I like about this episode. It shows us that there are different levels of villainy and it makes you question um, which character is worse, June for her cunning or Pinker for his brutality. And I guess there there is that aspect as as you say the point of view you know you you can latch on to whichever point of view you want to talk about, um, and they are different people. And again, it adds to that that kind of aspects. You know, they were together for some time. You know, they, they June did move on. You know, he was in prison for the stuff that he's done. He's a very kind of you know um, he, he has he has those attitudes like we've said about how much he can do stuff. Um, 
I just think that the the villainy is maybe just a bit too much. It definitely feels like a more of a a, a moral and you know a conversation to have about characters and their flaws. Like I said before, I think it's more yeah. that for me. I don't see these being villains. I see them as like being very very flawed individuals. Maybe for the as I say for for the um, for the position they've found themselves in before all of this ever happened. Why did he rob the bank? Why has he become the person that he was beforehand? That, that those are the those are the things that we'd, we would like to talk about. And again, if you go back to what we were saying about Millennium, Millennium was always about asking the question, why, why did this happen? You know, and if you think about that, you know, why did, why has this all happened? You know, it'd be interesting to, to look at it from that point of view. Michael Little says, I think she's, isn't a good person per se, but she is clearly a battered woman. That's what I like about it. Pink has, Pinker has some nuance. And then Andrew Levitt basically says, he's got his, um, his comments as well. So he says, Trevor is an underrated gem. John Dial gives his gives a great performance as Pinker, who through clever scripting we first view as a villain in the piece, only to see him as a victim of June's me- mechanisms. As such, we come to see his anger while brutal in its effects on others as justified. The concept of being able to walk through walls is interesting, especially the pseudoscience used to make it seem plausible. An episode made stronger by the focus on the characters rather than the paranormal phenomenon. And it's chilling. Starting, end, starting, uh, startling, ending. A solid seven out of ten for me. So yeah, I mean, coming back to the writers again, you know, these guys, Jim Gutridge and Ken Horilai, you've got a a props manager and a composer, and they've just come together and, and written this up. And it's 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 a really really well written episode. Yeah, um, it, well constructed. Characterization is great. So it's uh, I'm. On that basis, it's, a, it's an impressive episode because the, these guys aren't, you know, they aren't your classic writers, yeah. as it were. You know, they come from different backgrounds, different jobs. And it'd be interesting to see what part of it's been rewritten and redrafted and mm, back yeah. as well. Heather Ben says, I just read Bowman's take on the episode and I couldn't agree less. Wow, I saw her as trying to protect her son from this violent, abusive father. Pinker is a violent murderer. June is a liar. I really don't have any sympathy for either of them. His performance is solid, though, and the end is moving. Kathy Glinsky um, says, I think Trevor is underrated. I, and I don't quite understand the hate for it. It's a good mystery with a truly terrifying villain. There's some fun Mulder and Scully banter, and the ending leaves you unsure whether it was the right outcome, which I like. It's not a favourite, but I like it enough. Cortland Waters-Bartley, I agree with Kathy. While um, Trevor is certainly not my favourite episode from season six, Pinker is a villain that I find truly terrifying. I also think there is some overlap between Trevor and some other X-Files stories about parents and children that get overlooked for more compelling episodes with that theme. Still, Pinker's drive to see and be with his child is relatable, as misguided as terrifying as it is, and the fact that Trevor's mother also gave him up is another reoccurring plot point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yes, yes, I think we touched upon this, didn't we, about their morals and their flaws and their motivations. You know, that's that's that, that's what this episode is really good at, is is asking those questions. Mm. And it's interesting that she mentioned the, the fact that, you know, mothers giving up the children is a, a recurring yeah. theme, which will come into play, you know, in, in mm. later seasons. Uh, Paige Schechter, Trevor is the worst kind of X-Files misfire, the kind you don't remember too well, just that you know you didn't like it when you first watched it. So, yeah, that's the that draws it to a close. Um, there, Luke. So, any final thoughts before 
we sign off for this episode known as Trevor? Um, just that this episode is a lot better than I remember it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I came on the podcast and did it. And I think I have a new appreciation for this episode. As everyone has said, it is no by, it is by no means a standout episode in season six, but it's there as a solid entry. Um, and I think, uh, Modern Scully are certainly more energetic in this than they are in the previous episode, Alpha, which is absolute, and excuse the pun, dog shit. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good entry, and I definitely think it's underrated. Excellent stuff. Well, yeah, I, I think I've come to reappreciate this episode a bit more. Uh, I think it's, it's got its moments, uh, and especially with my current, uh, you know, takings on Millennium and, the, and we're running through that, that I probably have a different viewpoint to this than I would have watching this originally and even even lately, especially in the last five or six years. Um, but having the, the, the viewpoint and obviously growing up and, and having different, you know, a different perspective to when you're 18, you know, being 40 years old, 41 years old, and I'm 41, not 40. I just had my birthday. That's how inconsequential birthdays are at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so being 41 years old, you know, you, there's things that you will look upon this episode which might touch on certain elements of your life and things. So I think the, uh, you know, it's interesting to reappraise episodes uh, as time goes mm. by. And, you know, I think this one's an interesting one in, in point as well. So, yeah, so that brings the episode to a close. So where can people find you on that there internet, Luke? As Kurt mentioned at the beginning, I am co-host of a Star Trek podcast called Make It So, which is about Star Trek Picard. Um, so I co-host that with with Kurt. I'm also the showrunner and host of Observing the Pattern, which is a fringe podcast. The third season is currently uh, in production. We are we are recording uh, starting next week, actually. So and that should be airing hopefully mid April. I'm I'm aiming for. Um, I also co-host another Star Trek podcast called Rarely Going, which looks at the uh, Star Trek animation series Lower Decks. So when the second season of that airs, we shall be back on uh, online to do those episodes as well. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Luke underscore Winch, uh, where I'm just geeking out over pop culture and sci-fi and science and all that stuff. So hey, there you go. Excellent. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Drake. That's R-M-U-L-D-R-A-K-E. I've mentioned Millennium a couple of times. We're just finishing Millennium now. We're in the final stages of season three. At time of recording, I have got the last final two episodes to record, which should be great. Um, one of them with Darren Mooney, of all people, and the other, and both of them are going to the other, both of them are going to be with Chris Knowles as well. So both uh, ex-cast regulars, uh, regular guests there. So yes, you can find me on there on the Time Is Now Pod on Twitter at the Time Is Now Pod. I also do the Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast, um, which is, can be found at Red Dwarf Pod. Make it so, as you mentioned, which I won't re-mention again. And, uh, you know, but best thing to do is to find me on um, on Twitter at rmuldrake, it's R-M-U-L-D-R-A-K-E, to find out where, where I am, what I'm up to, and, uh, you know, what other podcasts I've got on the horizon, because there's, there's a few. Um, but obviously, Podcast 616 as well, which I must remember to say, which um, will have all of the episodes of WandaVision. So I covered most of those episodes on WandaVision. And uh, that will be into Passages New and Falcon and Winter Soldier, What If, and, and all kinds of Marvel Universe shows. So that's the best place to find me. But uh, Luke, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed your first proper guest um, sh- showing on uh, on the Xcast. 
Oh, it's been a pleasure, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you yeah. about uh, X-Files at last. Well, we'll have you back on. We will have you back on at some point Lovely. in season seven, more than likely. Um, but until next time, remember everyone, trust no one. Elsewhere, and we made this. The time is now. A Millennium Podcast. I hate Hollywood. I, I hate the way these stories are told. It's, it's everything, they hit the same beats, they hit the same rhythms. It's kind of like, it, you know, reminds me of like a, a, a blues thing, you know, where it's like, well, a lot of people love the blues, but, you know, it just, I realize that it's, it's, everything has the same underlying structure, you know, everything is yeah. like 12 bar, 145, pentatonic, you know, everything is following the same core elements and it just, it just gets exhausting after a while. It does. It does. I, I remember going to see Gary Moore. And uh, you know, as much as I, I, I enjoy music, I enjoy going to see bands and things. And uh, after about, I'd say, thirty minutes, I was like, I need to check out. We buy records. How much would you sell this record for on Discogs? Now, the record in question is Microsoft DOS on a vinyl album which you can actually boot a PC with. You've got to be kidding. I'm not kidding. Does this sound bringing back any memories? From what I can gather, it looks like they've done it as a hobby project, but if it was commercially available... All it needs is an incredibly vaporwave sleeve, and I guarantee that hipsters would pay a fortune for that. We are Starfleet. So this was kind of a, a nice callback to the elements that were used on TOS. And I, it really stuck out to me. And it just, as I keep saying every week, you know, there, there's always a little, a little give and take, right? Where the writers bring in this element from TOS or TNG or from Voyager, and it fits into the discovery realm. Yeah, and I'm glad that they didn't draw out um, Giorgio seeking medical attention for her issue. I was a little worried. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. The X-Cast and X-Files podcast was created by Tony Black and is produced and hosted by Carl Sweeney, Sarah Blair and Kurt North. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the X underscore cast, on Facebook by typing in the X-Cast and in our group X-Files Basement, the X-Cast podcast fan group and on Instagram at the X-Cast pod. Don't forget, you can support the show by becoming a member on Patreon. Our patrons get early access to episodes, behind the scenes chats with our hosts and a thriving community of X-Files, and other premium interviews and specials. To find out more and subscribe, you can go to patreon.com slash the Xcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the Xcast. We are also part of the We Made This Podcast Network, full of popular culture shows, including our Millennium series, The Time Is Now. You can find all of our shows at our website, wemadethispod.com, or via Twitter at wemadethispod. Thanks for listening and keep watching the skies.